the most fascinating technology that we're going to see in the near future is the idea that we could record our dreams. That to me is so miraculous, and I and I do and I do think that it's going to change humanity forever when it happens. There's a research lab in Kyoto, Japan, that is already working on and already has developed what they're calling a primary form of the dream recorder. We've never recorded a dream in history. We, we've never had access to that mythological land that we all visit every single night. What will it do to humanity when we unlock the mythology of dreams? What what will it do to our consciousness when we are able to peer inside of our unconscious minds, which is primarily what the the dream world is? We know that it is going to happen. Either a true form, so it's actually what your mind is seeing, or a representation of what you're seeing in your dream. And we could see that in the next 10 years. The sexbot revolution will definitely alter human growth on this planet. It will there will be a certain percentage of human beings that when the sexbot revolution does take off and when artificially intelligent, especially when artificially intelligent humanoid robots become sexual partners with human beings and this will happen and you will see a certain percentage of humanity that want to marry and only um, have sexual relationships with the sex bot. And if that's the case, then there will be a certain percentage of people who who just won't uh, breed. They won't have uh, children. And and when I say sex bot, I'm not talking about a lifeless plastic doll. I'm talking about a humanoid robot that is so real that you cannot tell the difference between a human being and a robot, a humanoid robot. When humanoid robots become that advanced, I do think you're going to see people falling in love with these machines. What does it mean then to be human? That humanoid won't have autonomous emotions and feelings. It will have an algorithm built into it to do certain things and to respond certain ways. But when we when we talk about the second generation of humanoid robots, that's where it gets complicated. When the human population and the humanoid population have the same rights, right? Or if they don't have the same rights, I, you know, trust me, a humanoid population that has deep artificial intelligence with feelings and a, and a sense of uh, personhood, right? That is where you're going to have problems because eventually that being, whether it's mechanical or not, is going to turn to humanity and say, "What about me? What about us?"
Hello and welcome to the first Serious Wonder podcast. This uh, this podcast we're aims to cover all the things from SeriousWonder.com. We host a, a variety of different collaborators from futurists to psychologists to all these things about consciousness and the future. We have Kyle Russell here. Hello. And then we have Matt. He's He's uh, been with me since the Techno Optimist podcast, and now we're we're a little bit more official with this, and we're really excited to just jump right in. You should mention, start things off, for those that don't know, Serious Wonder is a progressive futurist technology and consciousness website. We're obsessed with the future. Uh, the mission is to bring our readers the best in futuristic ideas, technology, robotics, science, consciousness, philosophy, psychology, space travel, modern design, all that cool future stuff. And that's uh, why and we have Check Matt. that out at SeriousWonder.com. <laughs> also hit us up on uh, Twitter. It's uh, twitter.com forward slash... Serious Wonder, Facebook, same thing. Now, you could become a collaborator on that site, right? Where if you have cool ideas or if you have oh, cool yeah, things yeah. that happen, you can just jump in and be a contributor. And well, there's some there's some cool things. Yeah, we're always looking for them. We're, we're looking for more you know, correspondence, collaborators, and people more to minds actually, to harvest. Yeah, absolutely. And collect, collect these ideas and actually give a platform for people to express their ideas and seed them out into the world. But there's a couple of things that are a little bit different. We have a point system that if you read an article on Serious Wonder, you get points for that. If you contribute an article, you get points as well. And those points are actually able to buy real world objects. Like you can get that leap motion control. Did you, you guys get, actually figure out a way to gamify blogging? Yeah, kind of. That's awesome. Kind of. Yeah, if you we're come back, to, we're trying to figure out a way to do that where I work in the real world with one of our guys because he's way hooked on gaming. Yeah, but he yeah. doesn't do his job so much. So we're like, if there's only a way to gamify that, and it works with exercise. I mean, we see a lot of yeah, this absolutely. And, you know what? What we've noticed ever since we implemented this, it's about a month and a half, two months old now, is this new member system and point system, and we've seen that uh, the retention rate. People are coming back every day because you get those points, and they're reading the articles, they're commenting. Behavioral modification. Yeah, if you if you. <laughs> comment on it and then also what what it does is the more points that you acquire it ranks you up it levels you up so to speak so the more articles that you submit you you actually go up from like a junior futurist up to actually will we'll, we give you the accreditation as you a could futurist. own the site eventually if you wrote enough articles <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> it's more recognition per person yeah yeah so <clears throat> let's just jump into the first articles that we have today and i think that uh Let's get into that one, Kyle. I, the, Which one? The, the intellectual orgasm, the new digital impulse. This is Gray Scott, who who is actually the founder of of SeriousWonder dot com. And this this article, it just resonated. I had written an article a while ago um, called "Imagination Fornication: How Ideas Have Sex." I see and, how that goes hand in hand with the intellectual orgasm. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it really elaborates and actually gives a foundation for how this is happening. Like I I realize that all of these ideas they they you you know, they go through this this internet and then they nest inside of your mind and then gestate into understandings about the things that we talk about. You want to start with just a basic definition coming from Grace Scott here that the intellectual orgasm is based on the idea that we can engorge the mind of the viewer with digital imagination and serious wonder. Yeah. Yeah, and it's this I mean it's the idea and I and I get it when I listen to Terrence McKenna. I have that intellectual or yeah. ag- I I have that the way that he can artfully articulate, you know, synta- syntactical information, how it just rolls through his his It's a gift. 
It, it really is. But what it does is it's intellectually stimulating. It, yeah. it gets me off. I want to go back. And we have this this weird dissonance in our society right now between biological stimulation that has so many taboos and it has so many restrictions and, and it does have its gratifications, but how deep, because I know that, you know, the, the stimulation that I receive when I watch, you know, one of Jason Silva's shots of awe and it just, it blows my mind. It well, literally, it's one of those things that it, it allows you to go into that deep realm where you don't normally have these types of conversations where we don't, dive into the deep realms those are the the inner mind uh, that kind of plays well and can you imagine like going into a bar and sitting down and trying to have that deep meaningful conversation like it just it it doesn't happen it needs to be a special kind of connection before that can take place think about like the 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 renaissance and stuff they had this that it was the coffee shop matt ridley talks about right we had these hubs that people got together they had a stimulant you know this aphrodisiac type of of drink and environment a way to open the mind up yeah and it was the first time we had actual um free freedom to express our ideas together and then that kind of got subverted and now the way that we hang out is in bars with music so loud that we don't ever have a chance to express anything but our biological impulses and our biological um, um, types of build and rapport with each other. And it's, and it's very limited comparatively what happens when you use the higher functioning parts of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the whole, you know, neocortex that has evolved above the, 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 the primate, you know, limbic impulses. Must and, mate, and must bio- find yes. mate. <laughs> yes. You know, must. and it's like, Shelter, sex, food, shelter, yeah, sex. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, it, and it's and it's funny, and, and when you when you really break that down, and you you weigh out which one feels the best subjectively, mm. you know, an, a biological orgasm is there and it's done, and then you want to sleep. You know, it's just not it's not something well, that. You- I can cuddle afterwards for a few minutes, but then yeah, I'm going, yeah, yeah. Going you to just sleep. you want to turn off afterwards. <laughs> right. Once that is it's a release, satisfied, right? yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute. It release. is. It, it brings We're, you back down to that baseline. Well, and that's what he says here. Your amygdala is primed, and you're ready for a micro shot of intellectually inspired oxytocin, yes, which is the same hormone chemical, whatever you want to call it, that's released in the brain when. Yes, but think of think of the clumps of neurons that that, you know, exist in the brainstem or the amygdala, you know, the actual amount. What I call it? The amygdala? My bad. (laughs) The amygdala. Thank you. (laughs) I heard him over there going. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, if we're going to equate this to weight or to the oxytocin release in the brain, the neocortex is is so much bigger. It, it, It contains such a such a more intricate, vast array of synapses that are able to you know release and receive oxytocin. And so when you're stimulated, when you're when you have that mindgasm, when you have this intellectual orgasm that exists above the limbic primate, you know, biological sexual desire that needs filled, when you have that on the intellectual level, it's that much more. It can actually make us feel as if we're as expansive as the universe and we feel as every single one of our synapses flood with this oxytocin or or this when you're cementing those connections yeah, too that yeah. were made, you're solidifying the paving fact that, the dendritic highway. Uh, yeah, exactly, it's, exactly. It's really and so, so we we know that with with the coffee shops, it, it originally did this, and then you know culture went back into this you know primate type thing, right? And 
But now you almost see it in a, in a school university level where it's cool to like go get wasted all the time and be the dumb, uh, for lack of a better phrase, jock character. Yeah. Like that's that's accepted as being this great. And the nerds or the geeks are always like shoved aside or, or picked on or whatever. And this is kind of the exact opposite of that. It we want to feed that because there's level. a new. You know, he says in the article that the internet is the largest sex organ now, and I totally <laughs> get that because that's that's the impulse that I'm continuing to go back to. You know, the likes that I receive. Is that the internet know, addiction types? that we? I don't kind think of it's an addiction as much as the biological impulse to go and procreate. I think that I'm hmm. I'm in now. Um, I have a new ex- extended type of of stimulation system and and by independent you know it's a it's a psychological <laughs> neurological reward system when i'm interacting on the internet and i'm sharing these ideas that bring such wa- uh, wonder and awe and these type of um you know intellectual orgasms well no i i kind of took it a little bit differently i i see that the internet is the seeding you know so if you take the the idea of the sex organ what is it doing it's seeding so you're saying putting, the internet's the balls. <laughs> and then, well, yeah, absolutely. In a way. And then the actual producing. articles and the actual... Uh, the content. The content right. is the, the actual seed <laughs> is the content. Being, being actually put into somebody's brain, yeah. into the ideas. So the, and what does that do? That births new ideas. And yeah. it's, it's all reproductive. It's the full reproductive uh, organs. The cycle. The cycle. The circle of life. So where where our biology is limited to the, uh, I think it's called, oh, what is it? The Dyson number. Google would look that up really quickly, but it's um. Are you talking? Uh, oh, the Dunbar's constant? number. I'm oh, sorry, okay. Dunbar's number. Um, it's around 150. They saw that the ability to actually have empathy outside of. Um, or have have that type of of interaction with so many people inside of your monkey sphere, they call it. <laughs> and and this is you know we're limited to that. But what what's happened with you know, and that's a biological state or neurological. You know, it's a circuitry in the brain that limit um, how many people you're actually able to build rapport with. And so actually, you're saying that number is basically the path of our social media. Like Facebook, you can have five thousand friends. Path only gives you fifty. Yeah, so this yeah. Is your this smaller the, the biological. Um, circuitry only allows you this Dunbar right, number, right. which is around 150. Is that well, limited the, by the physical hardware, basically? Yeah, it's, it's the neurological the neuro- hardware. Okay. It's actually wired into the brain that we can't... That's as many as it can... Yes. The bandwidth it can without, without us um, externalizing it right, with, right. Our, with our extended phenotype being the internet, now Dunbar's number is trumped by all of my different social media outlets, all of the different people that I interact with Almost constantly. to a fault, though, if you're having overload, if there's too much and you're not well, well curating Well, same thing it. with sex addiction. Sure. Same thing. And, and again, this is all in comparison to what um, subjectively has the most reward and, and the most uh, productivity in, in the current uh, world that we live in. And spending all of your time to go and fulfill the biological impulse to procreate doesn't seem like the most um, uh, beneficial or productive thing in the society we find us now. Cultivating a mental space provocative enough, stimulating enough to seed your ideas through the, the, the internet sex organ that it is and, and being able to reproduce those ideas in minds across the world. When I publish one of my articles, when Gray publishes one of, the, one of his articles, I can watch real time on Google Earth the people that are logging in and, and interacting with the ideas that I just uploaded. I'll watch people in Australia, Papua New Guinea. I'll watch all, and it's Papua amazing. Yeah, it, I'm not joking. 
thinking. I was That's like, what? Awesome. It, it, it's the bottom, the rising bottom billion yes. in the in the remote areas. But the fact they're that all they getting online with internet. these smartphones. Yeah, because they, there's they no computer access. connectivity. And so we have this new. It's cool. This new instrument. It's an awakening it, of yeah, sorts. It, it's well, like it, a third world awakening. Of, of it reconnects. Um, humans in this new way because we connected through our biological sexual um, uh, reproductive mechanism, the circuitry. That's how we've interacted. That's how we've kept communities. That's how we've kept relationships mm-hmm. is well, through that's, this. That's what Grace says here. He says, this new digital impulse is driving humanity deeper into the digital psychosexual universe. We scour our social networks and news feeds for political information, tech nudes, and breaking futuristic science information. You know, we post Instagram photos, he says, refresh the page, waiting for someone to get uh, us off, basically. Yeah. He says, sure, the old flesh impulse still exists, and online porn has reached an implosive state of saturation, but the new digital reward drive appears to be on the high road. The largest, this is what you said, the largest sex organ on the planet is now the internet. And at this very moment, someone is being liked into digital ecstasy. I love that. I love that. And, And if we really break that down, so... I have the internet in front of me that that has the ability and to... And in your pocket. And in my pocket. And it's, in your it's, car. It's now a part of me fridge. as much as my biological sure. substrate. I have a technical technological substrate that I envelop into as much. And so looking at this, having the internet, I have the ability to access porn. I have the ability to access a, a wall of live women. It's, it is the most amazing ending. thing that you could ever biologically imagine, you know, for for like for if you picture system. the Neanderthal like being faced with we, that, whereas yeah, yeah. what he is used to is this but, survivalist kind of exactly, mind state. And exactly. here you have the overabundance. And, and what I've noticed in my subjective life is that you fulfill that, you know, mammalian primate type of impulse and then it's done. You just close the window off. You're just uh, and then you're back to. <laughs> You know, it's diving like deeper into, almost. you know, the, your Reddit futurology right. posts. You're, you're diving deeper into these ideas. And I spend so much time becoming <laughs> intellectually stimulated instead of biologically stimulated. That's that's where I, I spend a lot of my time is actually, uh, m- you know, myelinating, which is. Don't you, know, you need the happy medium of both? Though? Well, yeah, the, you have the... to satisfy, satisfy impulses. Right. And I find that the more that I that I'm intellectually stimulated to that you know that digital orgasm that that mindgasm that these type of ideas and this type of connectivity and all these new discoveries what that does to my subjective experience of reward mechanisms is push me to further my ideas further my philosophies further all of these discoveries and ideas and theories to to go to people that intellectually stimulate me regardless of gender regardless of of looks regardless of what their biological meat bag happens to you know cause me to make judgments against against i judge people based on their ideas now and how provocative they are and how how deep they can make me feel it takes away from the physical attraction of things and actually puts you onto the intellectual stimulation and i see that's more prevalent now i mean when i talk to friends or go to the bar it's not it's it's real okay you get the physical attraction there but it's the actual content of the information being transferred that stimulates people now. I mean, it, with the overabundance of porn, you know, it, anybody can get any type of porn. Their exact fetishes, whatever it is, is, yeah. is satisfying. So you're saying the bar use case has shifted? Absolutely. For some. 
Absolutely. Well, yeah, for some, for people who are more intellectually stimulated than, than but biologically. But even without that, we might not have the, the 21st century coffee house because it's become digital. Even when you're at your bar, what are you doing? You're checking your, your that news your Facebook page, That's, in essence? That I mean, has become the new, not yes. water cooler. Yes. That would be maybe a community, but your personal page has become that. Absolutely. absolutely. Now, what's that doing to our biology? Well, it's satisfying it. Okay. So, well, because we have, we have saturated the biological <laughs> need um, to... To, to satisfy this impulsive you know, need to procreate. And so you're to, saying it frees up more of our time to then pursue okay, the more intellectual. Yes, because I feel, okay, so I know that I, and in the end of the day, I am, I am a primate. And I have this impulse to, to spread my seed. <laughs> but I also am conscious and aware and have the ability to rationalize above that and to conceptualize these these theories and ideas and language and that. And that we, we've talked about how language and ideas seed out into other people's minds and such. And so the impulse to to release my digital sperm mm. out there is more that 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 impulse is greater than my impulse to go spread my biological seed. you're thinking past the biology basically well, my impulse is driving me past the biology right. yes you have to satisfy that impulse but the the one that drives me more the one that i feel more compelled when i wake up more compelled when i fall asleep that that compulsion to spread my ideas is that much more and to take in ideas to find these these philosophers that I hadn't heard of shift the focus yeah yeah I, I'm constantly wanting to diversify be, you know just like people would do with their fetishes with their porn <laughs> I do I do I, I, I fetishize different theories you know simulation theory that's one you know Nick Bostrom took me into this whole other type isn't of, that a mind-blowing it's idea. a new program that I've put into my cognition. Yeah. Are, you, are just, you running the sim? Oh my goodness! Every day, and I I find that it's it's uh, more synchronicities happen when you're aware of the sim. The, I find the prover is okay, constantly so proving that's that, a good. Uh, this is a simulation. This is good. Okay, so let me set the grounds for this, and and how I mean I've talked about this for so long. I mean, come on, we. We started the website simulate.com, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the whole thing is about the simulation and it's the practical application of the theory, the concept, the idea that the world that we experience is a simulation and how you back that up is first, I'll give you a, a, a hypothetical about where we're going. We, we're going to have the ability within 10 years to have full immersion virtual reality that is indistinguishable from, from what we perceive currently. It's a Kurzweilian uh, prophet there. Well, it's even before the, the, the immersion technology. We're talking about things like the, the Oculus Rift. and Those are integrations of this new experience that we're going to Those were to, all predictions in the age of spiritual machines. Absolutely, they so, were. Yeah. And so when we step into our imaginations through this technological mediation, what that does is shows that we are going to be able to simulate a mm -hmm. world of our imagination where when we project that, when we actually conceptualize, when we imagine our world with the biofeedback constantly updating the simulation that we're perceiving through this virtual reality, we'll, we'll be living in a world created out of our imagination. And so we know that we're going to go there. And so what does that offer us in the present? What does that offer us right now? And that's where I make the claim that there is nothing external to me. I have to process stimuli through my neurology. And that's that through neuroplasticity, we can change that. Well, and that's circuitry. That's yeah. exactly what we're talking about with, with immersion technology. 
emergent technology where we're talking building the human brain what is capable of building the ai i run the 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 theory the idea that we're already there we're we are our future selves figured this out mm-hmm. and we built the most advanced uh type of technology uh, immersion technology and that's our brains yeah. our our consciousness what our inner mind has it's all here and so it's very synchronous to me that i'm living in a time where i've experienced all of this this phenomena like i want to relive all of this this so has all happened before the substrate of of the simulation is your neurology your yes. brain the, the the actual circuitry and architecture of your subjective neurology is actually the substrate for the simulation yes and no i i i think that okay uh, this is speculation of saying sure. no it's such an ambiguous idea of what is what does it actually mean getting into the specifics of okay we figured this out you know that that kind of leaves it open enough to say that you know with with all of the com- technologies now combined you know how do we put ourselves into a bi- what what is the the mixture of uh of biology and technology and i see that that's our consciousness yeah and I it's think- the emergent phenomenon so when we say when we say I love that. I, don't, I love that my nephew talks about it now, too, is, you know, I asked him the question, when is water wet? Right. And he said, what do you mean? And I when said, when you collapse the waveform as the observer, <laughs> so then you feel technically. That but, but what this does is it, it, it establishes a foundation of emergence and something that we label um, this this phenomenon. And so if I threw a bunch of hydrogen and oxygen at you, are you wet? I mean, that's the, this, this is it. So I took him into the thought experiment that if I pulled with tweezers every single cell out of his body and put it into a pile, at what point does that pile become Adam? Right. At what point does that pile become my nephew that I'm Adam, now interacting with? The pile with? is so much and more so, than... Yeah, there's this emergent phenomenon that we experience through our biology. Mm-hmm. And, and with that emergence uh, allows a... And this, I'm going to bring it back to the simulation because there's practical applications to living your life as if it is being rendered into your your experience. Be and the be the arbiter of your own story. It's, yeah. If this is if this is a simulation, if I came back to to live this time over again, or if this isn't just a specific time, but it's a program, it's a game that you know my future self is is plugged into. He created this program for a reason, and. I want to be the hero of my my program. I yeah. want to be able to make sure that the experience is as as beneficial to the player. You know that the guy who's pulling the strings. I'm going to make that exciting. So yeah. that's why you you run something for so long and it becomes oh, monotonous. And, and this is this is where we, we you know we words program the substrate of the mind to behave and act and think in a certain way. And so the Bible is a construct. It's a cacophony of a bunch of different words. And, you know, whether that is divine or not, that's all after the fact. That's the emergence of what you call the Bible. But mm. in in the, the technology of it, it's a construct of a bunch of different syntax, a bunch of different words that cause the primate to act and 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 behave a certain way as if it is a simulation or a program that is running 
on on the 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 neurology. Uh, like you say, that programming. Because if you if you're running that this is a simulation, there's different programs that'll be run. Religion is one. Yeah. Uh, different theories. I, I like to say different. The Kurzweilian theory is like a program that's infected my mind. All to think the that philosophies uh, are programs. each individual, or philosophy as itself is one. Well, program. well, I think well, that philosophy reductionism and, could yeah. bring it down to that, but. <laughs> But right. what is the, what is the practical application? How do you optimize your experience of life through modulating the programs in which you're you're running? And so, which can you control effective? all the delete and pull up the system processes, see which which ones are running, and then eliminate those processes? And so, if I'm wanting to um, express love, and that is. Um, also has zero, a program one, running one, with rejection. Zero, you know, one. Yeah, and right. so like <laughs> I want to feel this, but if I'm feeling that as if I show you my love and you will reject me, that counters it. The system processing that allows me to actually experience the emotion of love is being hindered. You know, allocation of mental energy is actually being diverted into this rejection emotion as well. Yeah, so how like can when you... Chrome tries to run on a Mac, there's <laughs> conflicting software <laughs> exactly. happening and yeah. they don't like to play. Yeah. Yeah, and so how do you how do you use philosophy? How do you use psychology? How do you use neurology? How do you use technology to change the programs or the system processes to optimize your experience of life? Which and, ones blend well together? Yeah, and that's yeah. where I I feel that okay when you take a religion, an idea, um, a philosophy, what blends best with that idea? And that's where people who are very into their Christianity will surround themselves. Uh, surround themselves with other like-minded individuals. People who are atheists will find... Absolutely. You you surround yourself with the 120, Dunbar's number, people who who best express your program, what program you are running. So Chrome users constantly talk about Chrome and they surround themselves with Chrome. Apple team. It's it's a team basis that, that make all that. I think that, again... I don't know if there is any right or wrong program. Programs are programmed. They're unbiased. It's relative. A hammer can be used to, to drive a nail or, sure. or pull one out. I love know? that. And, Multidirectional and tools. So in my subjective experience, it, it's this quest of authenticity, this quest of um, because the program, the emotional release that happens when the program is run of hypocrisy in me, it causes such dissonance i can't sleep Mm. i can't function i can't cognize the world if i'm feeling hypocritical about how i'm interacting in that world and so it's using philosophies to go in and and cleanse that perceptual uh, simulation that that i'm using yeah you you do you root you root into the code and it and it requires introspection it requires you know, um, pharmacological <laughs> type of mediation. It requires all of these type of, of ways of accessing the root of your simulation to optimize um, its output. And, and that, the output that. is emotion. That's the one thing that I want to draw. And so if you have a program like religion and it's running optimally, so it has no spyware, no malware, no insecurities, no fears, no that, you have a full firm grasp that God is in heaven and Jesus is there as your savior, that can offer such a, such a beautifully running simulation mm-hmm. that your the the emotion that is felt after the process of that of that program is full contentment not just contentment but fulfillment yes. even you know? because you're doing it because you're scared like that's all fear based uh, not no, all of it but not really. all of it i don't think so i think that the Each- heaven heaven is 
enough of a prospect for some people. Even though to, all the commandments start out with you should fear and love God, it just seems like again, you're more scared. It's Pascal's wager. You're more scared into yeah, to yeah. doing it than not. But, again, but I'm sure there are people out there that are and there's a, into it because they are into absolutely. it. Absolutely. And think about what, what pushed us to the moon. What pushed us to fear. the moon? Fear. The Russians. And so with the evolution, <laughs> with evolution, I think the amygdala is important. I think that right. when you run that program, what, what's the actual biological feedback that's happening through the amygdala? It's fear processing. I think that it is effective to push certain theologies, sure. ideas, philosophies, techno. I, I think that that's one of the reasons why I love the fact that you're the techno optimist is because you found a way to shed that amygdalic program and be able to run a more efficient operating system and sure. a more efficient program than just using the amygdala. And that's where I think instead of, you know, getting in because it is taboo, there is these ideological landmines that throw up right, in people's heads right. that protect the program as if it's an antivirus software running. So let's use like Mac users versus Linux users, use Ubuntu users, use, you know, all these type of different operating systems. You know, it's it's a little petty at this point to still flame people that right. use a they Mac operating system. Yeah, they're all point. offering somebody a and conduit honestly, into a, an experience. That competition was drummed up by PR to drive sales. Sure, so, sure. I mean, it's not like a... But, but again, let's... let's establish that as the foundation that there is no real judgment against right, which operating right. system you're running but as for me as you're running an operating system that's all that matters yeah exactly <laughs> exactly well and one that doesn't entail you strapping a bomb to yourself and then claiming well, you'll get 72 yeah, versions i guess it takes all types that's know? when there's a universal <laughs> type of code yeah. that goes out there and and when i fixes. again if i'm running this simulation if this is all just a projection and this is the story then all you guys aren't real. <laughs> this is all in my head. This is like an inception when you're, you guys are my inner projections. But and it's so, in our heads as well. But because it's, we are real and we are here. Okay. I'm here. But yes and I no. Think. Because you... Yeah, I'm here. But that, but that only exists in your mind. Your ability to actually perceive us I'm here existing has to be processed in, the f- in your mind. I'm here existing, though, in this frame this time space but how you perceive me is through a network in the brain that right, right. Labeled you're the just empathetic. a bunch of protons and electrons well, well, and light no. reflecting here's here's a little <laughs> bit and I, I i wrote a recent article about this and it's the empathetic mirror neuron network mm. and these are little tiny neurons that sit you know throughout the brain and they're mirrors that that if i perceive and, and the scientist he says i just heard an interview about this yeah and, a, he, yeah. and it says that if you at one time, we metaphorically said that I can feel your pain. Right. But now we know that there's neurons in the brain that can actually feel your pain when I perceive you hurting. And not just that, empathy. And so if, I, if you're showing me love, I'm going to want to reflect that love. These neurons that are in my brain mm. are unbiased. They're just trying to reflect as a mirror reflects. But if your mirror is tainted, if it's, if it's covered and clouded with insecurities and fears and societal taboos and all of these things, what are you reflecting? And that's, that's where it like takes a philosophical Windex cleaner to clean your empathetic mirror neurons that allow you to actually see that we, we, only exist in each other's minds through these mirrors. I don't know that you're there until I process your photons through my retina that then travel mm. into my brain through my circuitry and then analyze your face as if it is my face. When, when you're sitting there and you're having your leg crossed and you're doing these type of things, my brain is processing that as if I was processing that. 
and and as as if I mm. was that as well. And so what what these neurons do is literally deconstruct, they decommission, they dissolve the barriers between you and I. So that's empathetic mirror neurons. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I love going down the, the, the idea of, of being able to access what I, that that's the modern day of therapy or the, the, the version of, of therapy that where we can access a, a really good psychologist or a therapist can, can really mirror what the other person's thinking about and be able to bridge that gap between each other and be able to be that philosophical Windex, you know, like you said, yeah. to be able to. To really help that other person come back. Well, and sometimes it takes more than Windex, and that's where you see the the group maps uh, having such really good uh, results using things like uh, MDMA or psilocybin in these therapy sessions for things like PTSD and yes, whatnot. Yes. Your your mirror neurons then are basically reflecting all of that trauma, right, that you experienced when you were either overseas or whatever gave you the PTSD. Yeah. So these will help your mind open up so that you can then release that and and get past it yeah for 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 a short amount of time it it really floods and it's like you know when you uh, here's how i think of a psychedelic experience is that i'm looking externally to the world through my mirror neurons so i'm projecting what is coming in and that gets clouded with my insecurities it gets clouded with my my viruses my malware and all of these programs they literally cloud my ability to project an accurate mm. um accurate reflection of what i'm perceiving and so what this does is it fogs the mirror of the mind and so when you take a psychedelic it's like when you get out of the shower and you you know rub your hand across it and you can mm-hmm. see yourself for just a minute as you are and not as you your insecurities would tell you to be or all of these things like the true ego yeah the yeah. true ego yeah the base, seeing the yourself yeah. and, and this is what i what i experienced i said i you know the greatest actually experience that i or or realization that i had is is when i did mushrooms and i i walked i, I didn't hallucinate i didn't you know i had this this clarity of lucidity about my place here on earth and, and what I, what objectives and what goals and those things. And I was out in nature and then, you know, I thought this was great, you know, let's, let's go inside. And then I saw myself in the mirror and I saw myself as you would see me, not, not as I told myself I would be, not as I told my, uh, the justification. An unfiltered self. You're yeah. seeing yourself it without shattered, any. It shattered the illusion of who I said I would be tomorrow. Mm. The justifications about I'm not lazy, I'm just really busy, and I'm not, I'll, nah. I'll work out next week. And I was, yeah. I was perceiving a 350, maybe 400 pound, I'm not sure, because the scales don't go that high. And so <laughs> I was a very big man, and I I just got a glimpse of it. My simulation, the programs that I ran that actually rendered what I saw in the mirror in the mornings prior to this psychedelic experience that 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 defogged the mirror for for just just a short while was just long enough for me to see me as you would see me without all of my justifications and I could make the changes necessary at that point I decided I was going to do an Ironman a year later I was doing that I had dropped 150 pounds and I was competing in this Ironman and it was it was such a source of realization and and, and an actualization and an implementation of the simulation as in this is a program I have the ability to create such an illusion such a simulation that I did not perceive myself as a 400 pound man right right and that's that's the 
uh, when you get caught up into the programming, when you go too deep into, you know, the the idea when it clouds what you can't, you can't see the reflection. You can't see, okay, I need to be okay with myself at the end of the day. And I need to be okay with this program that I'm running. Is this program that I'm running going to be biologically advantageous for my uh, psychological evolution? Yeah. Well, and didn't we kind of talked about that, that they were having, it was a, a study that they were showing people versions of themselves. I think we talked about it on a techno optimist. Oh, if that's right. No, they wanted to lose weight. They would show Stanford you, university yeah, yeah. in, and it's the most advanced virtual reality lab. And this is called the Prometheus effect. It's awesome. And so what it does is when they immerse you in a virtual reality and then give you an avatar of, of yourself. And then you saw yourself in the mirror. If, if you were, bigger or smaller, it would actually change how you perceived yourself. And so this virtual reality is actually mediating this experience. Your brain is, uh, again, the mirror neurons don't know. And so you're looking at yourself in a mirror and your brain is accepting that that is reality. And then you can change that experience. The people that were taller, they were, their avatar was, was given a couple feet on it or, or shorter. Mm -hmm. And then people afterwards still had the bio or the behavioral modification that they experienced inside. And so people would be more confident if they were more muscular and they were taller when they got out of the immersive virtual reality, their behavior and their biology and their neurology literally changed how they interacted with the people in the world around them. And this would happen if they would follow through and do the exercise, but you don't see the change immediately. So it was all about having that immediate feedback that made them motivated to then. Yeah. So make they the had change. the, when it it's came to the weight, change. they would have the avatar and it would be eating, it would be eating, um, um, you know, candy or something like that. And then it would literally show the avatar expanding every couple pounds um, uh, with that. So it was an amplified, it was an accelerated weight gain with every time you ate something that was bad for you. But then they did the exact opposite with carrots and vegetables. And so, so it's, it's essentially hacking the program. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, you're yeah, hacking the modification it. via virtual reality. Yeah. And so they did, um, <clears throat> they took that because they saw that, oh, people when presented with food after the immersion would choose the vegetables more because mm -hmm. they had that actual visualization of their their body losing weight with every carrot and the same the same ate. thing happened with race they were showing people that were tended to be racist towards yes, a certain yeah. they would show them as that race and they instantly became more it was like walking a mile in their shoes so to speak yeah it was and, activation of the yeah, empathetic neural network the empathy that's, center so they did like cool research um uh, they had a chainsaw, so a virtual chainsaw cutting <laughs> yeah, down a tree good. and the tree. It was just this dramatic thing. <laughs> and then afterwards, they saw how many napkins and pieces of the paper they would use. And they were more conservative as if they became more green, more hippie, because they actually experienced killing a living organism with a big but they dramatic didn't. chainsaw. Their brain was fooled into thinking that they experienced it. But that's the opportunity that, that we have is, is being able to modulate our perceptions that, that can optimize our experience of life. And so they did did this with exercise as well mm -hmm. and so every time you lifted your knee above above your 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 waist you know in place back and forth it would dramatically drop sure. drop your size and that instant feedback yeah yeah it's instant feedback and so people were more compelled to work out longer faster harder because they were they were getting that instant um, um the gratification yeah. Yep. yeah no that's that's, that's interesting how that changes like that actually is changing people and 
I mean, to bring it back to Gray's article about the intellectual orgasms, aren't we doing that? Aren't we aren't we satiating? Aren't we saturating? Aren't we fulfilling all the biological needs with technological mediation? And isn't that allowing us to now um, interact and stimulate higher cortices of the mind and higher intellectual type of ideas and and more interactions beyond that of the Dunbar's number, beyond that of the primate behavioral mechanism that causes us to only interact with 120 to 150 people. Now we have the ability to access parts of our mind that give us the ability to interact with the whole world globally and share ideas and be stimulated by each other and and in a whole new way and, and what I would say is a more gratifying way because again, my input to interact on the internet with like-minded not just like-minded minds but finding ways of of infecting yeah you <laughs> not know all infecting the, but it's seeding, seeding yeah seeding yeah the, and, and being a part of this and being a being a player being a a pimp of the you know digital uh, yeah. uh, uh, burlesque house or whatever you want to call well, it you have that you have the access that's the biggest thing is that the why it's such the the largest sex organ is because it has access to over three billion people right now yeah I'm pretty sure that's the number. Is that that sound about right? What the the number of people that have access to the internet? I believe it's in the three billion. Uh, yeah. Something but like that. well, hold on. Let us access the extended mind. How many people have access to and, it? And and here's where we're going to go with this. And so, I mean, this is a great example. And so, with algorithms like Watson coming online, our ability to interface. And so, we already have a meme in our culture, uh, an mm-hmm. ability to offload our understanding and cognition and awareness about the world. We offload that to Google. Google it. Um, like so I'm not sure. As as of June thirtieth, twenty twelve, there are two billion four hundred five million five hundred eighteen thousand three hundred seventy six internet users. <laughs> That's a big number. Well, there you go. That is so a big, Google, big number. Google is not going to be. Um, external in years to come it's going to be internal and so and it's going to have natural language it's going to interact with us as fluently as I'm interacting with you this goes into that digital mirror app that I that mm-hmm. I speculated about that there's going to be an app that that it aggregates all of your digital exhaust every every reddit upvote every hmm. well, YouTube video watched every um, like every you know all sure. of these type of stumble upon rabbit holes these things will you know create a digital persona and then when you can interact with that digital persona with the algorithm like Watson and such, you are interacting with a, a, a representation of you and it's not dictated on your control anymore. It's going to be able to articulate all of you, all of your digital information. And not just that, we can take it to the next level. These algorithms, that I dubbed them the algorithmic personas, that they're going to be able to interact with you with the sum of all human knowledge. And so right now, it took us probably 20 seconds of lag time for us to get an understanding, an accurate representation of how many billions of people are actually accessing this same extended mind that we're all interacting through right now. Yeah, it's, it's really funny because I see evolution happening at such an exponential rate. I mean, evolution, true evolution of our biology. At the having, genetic level? It's epigenetic. At the epigenetic yeah. level. Well, I see it genetically as well. I mean, think about the the access of our higher mind. How right. much were we... Think about what Dunbar's number would have been in the 17th century. Yeah. Eight? Five? Seven? Five. <laughs> well, no, because I'll just say seven to be arbitrary. <laughs> it's still the same. That's Because, again, that's hardwired. It's, an, it's, a, it's neurological wiring that causes us that. But what we've been able to do when we're talking about evolution is that we have saturated our minds with such the ability of connectivity that, that allows us access to all of these different minds that are not... Um, 
uh, they're not dictated by our biology anymore. They're dictated by our neurology, our our um, our intellectual type of ability to connect uh, via the globe. That's causing us to evolve and, and, and evolve in an epigenetic sense because my genetic programming would, would cause me an impulse to biologically procreate and to spread my seed from my primate substrate. But now I can see that evolutionarily, epigenetically, I have an impulse that is greater than my primate impulse, greater than my sexual impulse. I have an impulse of, of pushing these ideas. Well, think about where... Okay, this is this is really cool to talk about this right now, the, the neurodust, because it's the idea to be able to turn on and off different circuitry in your brain uh, at a, a live with with live feedback to be able to say, okay, I'm going to shut this off, I'm going to turn this on like a light switch. So yes, that's that's evolutionary change at a genetic level through the through the bridging of technology. Yeah, and, to be uh, neuro, and that's a uh, that's a BCI, and so a brain con, uh, brain computer interface <laughs> is this neuro dust, which is these microprocessors, you know, in the in the mm-hmm. size of a grain of sand and such. But again, they're not going to be the one mediating. Um, um, but what, what what is there is optogenetics, and optogenetics takes a light sensitive protein and they put that inside of a virus that's inert, so it doesn't hurt, but it delivers. It's a carrier. It becomes, yeah, it becomes yeah. the UPS truck that delivers to every neuron a light-sensitive protein that turns on and off when you project a fiber optic line that, that broadcasts a certain spectrum of, of light into it. And so you can actually modulate. You can turn on and off every single neuron in the brain without, without electrochemical mediation anymore, but straight photonic, straight light can then turn it on and off every every neuron in the brain and this changes everything at that point it 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 gives us a a true heads-up display of what's happening inside of our simulations inside of our brains our actual the simulation i think that that's is the computer well and isn't that what was it leary (laughs) didn't leary say that whoever like the light is like whoever controls the light controls your mind. Whoever, uh, yeah, who he who controls it, your eyes controls that, your mind. Right, right. Yeah. Which and what do the the eyes do? They're interpreting this light in a way, which is why the media works so well. It's yeah. it's light. Yeah. If it's you, visual. It's well, auditory. So that's a good little segue here. You know, back into the programming. Um, you know, I it was it was awesome. I really wanted to see how programmable the mind was, and so I decided to put Leary's you know message how to, to the how test. to operate your brain um yes and no well i had to i had to have a solid understanding of of how that works and how right real that is and so i decided to let fox news alex jones and glenn beck control my eyes <laughs> and within six months huh. i'm sorry within three months i was stalking my basement i was <laughs> doomsday prepping that you were calling me and saying kyle you need to head to the hills <laughs> you need to get up here just be on standby don't turn your phone off that's right. what i was hearing from him when he absolutely just non-stop and it was, vice and, and doomsday my, prepping man i i could have been the next alex jones if i let it but i used a program we could do that a website that <laughs> allows you to to um, send an email to your future. And so I, I wrote myself in the future. And so after six months, I was able to reread who I was prior to Glenn Beck and Alex Jones and, you know, Rush Limbaugh and, right. and all of right. these really, really right right wing conservatives. When they controlled my eyes and put me in my basement, you know, for the impending apocalypse, 
the it was really funny to reread this email or to read this email that I had written to myself because I was not that person and I was yelling at him and I was like bullshit you don't even global warming and you know the Illuminati and the Queen's a reptile and you know you don't even understand <laughs> and the moon is Grove and 9-11 yeah like did you know that the moon oh, is a hollowed out um, you know we never even went to the moon yeah, never a, never never absolutely not heaven's up there not the moon so I gained a, a full, full awareness and understanding about how programmable my mind was. So I decided to optimize it. And I did that with what felt the most authentic. I formatted my hard drive. Well, I reinstalled an operating what was, what system. What was the process? Format, format check disk, defrag, yes, partition, um, the biological process update patch. Did I? I can't remember. if I, I, I'm pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure I did um, another uh, heroic dose, um, as Terrence, Terrence McKenna, McKenna said. The reset, I think I did five, the ego reset. Yeah, five dried grams yep, of, yep. of mushrooms in, in darkness. And what that did do is it's like, oh. Complete reset. Nothing matters. Yep. Like, but we are matter. So we yep. do matter. And, and what, what resonates more with me is, is that Carl Sagan quote that I love, that we're a chance for the universe to know it itself and to really connect with that we are made of stardust that we are made of the things that we perceive in the heavens that we feel are so distant we're made of that at stuff the atomic level for a limited time yeah go to the yeah. atomic level go to the biological level the Macro, cellular level micro. the neurological level oh. <laughs> when it, when <laughs> when it comes down wet? to when is water yeah, wet? Like, we are emergence and that emergence is unbiased given the program you are running and the program that i'm running currently is 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 kind of open source i i modulate it with philosophies i modulate it with with trying to find authenticity in my thoughts authenticity in my behavior when i reflect through my mirror neurons what i'm perceiving in you that that causes me to um feel certain dissonance and so if i'm if I feel hypocritical to how I had an interaction with you, that causes me to introspect and modulate the program that 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 is that is causing that interaction to happen. That sure. And if real world computer systems taught us anything, it is that open source is generally more secure, generally more reliable. So hackable too. Also hackable. Very, oh, hackable. We should, we hackable. should talk about this. There's, hackable. Segue. There's actually a company <laughs> that's doing this. Researchers at the USNIX security conference. They're saying that they've demonstrated a zero-day vulnerability in your brain. In your brain. Using a commercial off-the-shelf uh, brain-computer interface, the researchers have shown that it's possible to hack your brain, forcing you to reveal information that you would rather keep secret. Now, this isn't like old-school sodium pentothal, now sit down and tell me your life story. No, what this is is This they, is like actual... They put an emotive headset, which EEG. is an EEG, which is a low-resolution EEG. And so they only have a 40%. So not to freak everybody out, quiet your amygdalas, you know, bring Shh. down your fear center. It's okay. Shh. It's only about a 40% success rate currently. But what it does is they flash you a series of numbers, a series of images, and you have a, a signal when the neuron fires that's associated with something that it, it recognizes. Familiar. Yeah, when it when it's familiar yeah. with like your face or a number that's associated with it's your recognition, pin, it's just a recognition, bank, right? Location, yes. or possibly. yeah, sure. And sure. that's what they've been able to extract is that you when you fire off this P three hundred signal in the brain, this EEG picks it up uh, transcranially, by the way. You know or what externally this is really, to the mind. Then. It's like micro expression analyzing, but at the brain level. Yeah, you know, like if you the, flat, if you start talking to somebody and there's 
a hint of something they know, there'll be like little subtle, subtle, like subconscious Twitch. twitches, yeah, any... and you can study that. And yeah, there's there's yeah. a lot of interesting research on that. Yeah, but that's kind of what this stuff, is doing. This is now going. You recognize it, yep. so your subconscious is firing. It's like, oh, I know that. I know that. The here. military utilizes this technology um, for scanning. Uh, satellite images and so what they do with these operators is they have them hooked up to really elaborate high resolution um, um, EEG type of brainwave de- brain bio uh, right, brain right. feedback EEGs. yeah, yeah. Really, really awesome and ones. so what they what they do is they flash tons of these different um, satellite images to try to find uh, bases or or uh, vulnerabilities you know those type of things and and it's just so hard for you to process but your subconscious processes. So if it processes a helipad, that fires off the signal. And so it's the job of the operator to shut up, to get out of mm-hmm. his own head. And they don't want your input. They don't want you to talk to them. They don't want to tell you you to tell them what they saw because then your your the lag time of your brain to your lips is so intense that they won't be able to pick up an accurate signal. And so it's their job to be Zen-like, to use their brain just like a computer that is processing a vast amount of data. And then they pick up the P300 or the, I'm sure the military has deeper signals that actually can pick up the resolution of if it's a helicopter or if it's a, a military jet, or if that's a, you know, a a nukes Mm -hmm. facility that's, you know, has centrifuges and those things. And so they have that resolution. But what we're talking about here is a consumer level that you can buy for 200 bucks, put it on your head or put it on your wife's head, put it on your friend's head and extract information about their brain that they have no ability to control if you get it or not get it. NSA, if you're listening, I'm not buying an EEG now. <laughs> I just want you to know that. I don't want you to know my, all my deep, dark secrets. Um, I wonder, see, this is where it gets into, you know. If they you could, don't have any deep, dark secrets, what are you worried about? <laughs> I'm not worried, That's man. the best argument ever. And, oh, and so this dumb. is, I mean, do you, this is a great conversation. I people I trust. How because we are, we are existing in a time that all of our thoughts will become external. We, we will not have the boundary of being able to arbit or dictate what people know about what's inside of our heads. And so this is, I've talked about it quite a bit, the mental hygiene, you know, you're, are you going to, are you going to be the smelly kid in class when all of your thoughts are exposed to the world? Uh, because that's where we're going. Of, how many tabs of porn NSA. do I have open right now? <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> NSA is just the first bit of uh, uh, awakening that, there is nothing private. There is no there is no security. There is no privacy. Well, and if you realize that early on, like a lot of people did, you've been using the internet and communication devices as such. But yeah, there's yeah. this big misconception. Well, we talk about this on the tech shows that people expect that when they share something and they say, I only share it with this person, this person, this person is private, or when I send an email, that it's private. But it's not. The second that email leaves your computer, the second you hit post, it's off. It's yeah. it's gone. It's well, into with, the ether. With keyloggers, it's even before. Well, it's yeah, as well, real, if you're if real you're a time, target that anything, you're getting keylogged, you have bigger problems than this, Facebook. This shares into where I feel that we are going to have a digital avatar that will become something as if it's ourselves. So we right now have this inner logos, this ego that we all feel that is ourselves. And I feel that there's going to be 
this ambiguous transition between our online representation when we have that reflection that we're constantly interacting with because we're going to just think in our head and that voice that we hear that answers our questions or gives us the information that we were seeking will not be confined to what's in our brain. It has access to the extended mind. It has access to all Google, all Wikipedia, all of that. And it's going to it's going to filter that information, given what you your interests, what your likes have been, all of that digital exhaust that you have left. You have imprinted the extended mind with your personality, with every Facebook post, every Twitter, um, you know, sent all of these messages, you know, my 28,000 Gmail messages create this, this digital persona that is going to be interacting with me more prevalently than the ego that I currently feel within. It's the digital mirror. It's, it's the absolute, this is why I wonder if you guys are all projections. You guys have seeded me through the internet at one point, and you guys Stop have uploaded your projecting. I, no, you're a projection <laughs> you're to projecting. me. Yeah. I just, I, you can go so deep into this. It's, it's fun. To, this is the idea of, of the sex organ. You know, we're having, we're having fantastic orgasms of intellect right now. You know, just going on these conversations, having these conversations, going into the depths of, uh, you know, where Carl, Carl Sagan says, you know, the chance to learn and know itself, the universe to know itself. The ideas are there in our heads, how to extract them. You, you know. would think this is how, like, countries would be run, but instead it's like, well, I have nukes. Do you have nukes? No. <laughs> if no, then see this answer. If yes, then see this answer. And more times than not, it's just no, it, mutually well, getting, destruction. You know, this transparency, this age of transparency, this age of... Because right now we have an illusion that we have privacy. That's that's a complete illusion. But if you start Theater. living your life <laughs> as if everything is already external, if you, if you manicure, if you take and curate your digital persona, that's... That's what's out there. That's Is what you're imprinting. Late, if you started a podcast back in 2006, 2007, <laughs> and you just put your whole life out there, and there's quite a few people online that, that do this. Yeah. Like, you especially. You have 600 and well, something yeah, episodes I mean, there's of other one people show. have been doing it longer than me, though, and yeah. they've been fully living in this public sphere. And it's, it, it's nice in a way because you you're not like worried about all of this uh, who's coming to get me or this yeah, and that. Yeah. It doesn't. No, no, and isn't that something that we feel subjectively and when you finally just crowdsource? You know that secret you know. that you keep inside, that thing that you yeah. you've you've held back. You know when you can actually let go of that. Think of that openness when you uh, all that apprehension. It's therapeutic all of those things. in a way. It, it is. It's very therapeutic. <laughs> so I think that this is an opportunity before before all of this technology comes online because it's imminent. The NSA is pushing it. You know, we our thoughts are not our own anymore. Sure. They are out there in the world, and so this is our opportunity to. Use use the internet to use our our facebook streams and all of our social media outlets to to imprint the extended mind with the personality the persona and the 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 person that you feel you are and so you take time as you would with your biology before you go out to your bar you know you want to shave you want to you know put on deodorant you want to take time to make sure that you look good your your thoughts are going to be judged sure as harshly this, this is the same this is the idea of immortality to me this this goes into the conversation of if our digital footprint if our if our life is truly represented 
and our, our consciousness is truly represented in a digital format via my Google searches, my Facebook, Twitter updates, and you know all the social media combined, how much I put myself in the public sphere, then the idea is to be able to upload that at some point into another brain. This is yeah. It's almost like we already have cryogenics. Our brain is <laughs> uploading with with uh, no, information and, and think every about day. It. Right now, I mean, let's think of uh, this is a. We'll start with an example like Mozart. We only know Mozart. Mozart is immortalized in just paper. Right. I mean, his symphonies are are there, and we have to simulate them, and we have to emulate them. But well, we we only know Mozart. That, we yeah, have on it. It's such low bandwidth. But then let's take somebody like Terence McKenna, who has thousands and thousands of hours worth of his voice and his ideas that have been imprinted in a g- digital form. And soon we're going to be able to interface with all of that information. Their instructions. We're going to invoke a representation of Terence McKenna, given how much information. And I think about that with you, Matt, that you have thousands and thousands of hours of who you are data points that are now immortalized in the extended mind. And now this comes up with the (laughs) continuity problem. This is the biggest thing, like going out to New York at the 2045. A lot of the lectures are about this continuity problem. How do you bridge the gap? And so, yes, there is going to be this accurate representation with the right algorithms and the right simulations and the right software that invokes my digital persona. Am I going to be that? My my subjective experience, my consciousness, is that going to bridge the gap? Am I going to step into that? Is that a gradual transition? I'm not sure, but I do know that there is an essential part of myself that I have imprinted on the extended mind. And not just that, through Martine Rothblatt and LifeNot, I've been able to send that through a satellite into the stars. Right now, there is essential information about me. Thousands of emails, thousands of my ideas, thousands of my philosophies are now traveling out there, you know, out into the galaxy. And the they're a representation yes. of your true self, what you would feel to be your, opt- let's not say true self, your optimal self. Yeah, yeah. Your Based idealized self. Yes. And so, this is what's going out there. So, so, you know, at one point, the only thing that we, our legacy that we could leave behind was the quote we would put on our headstone. And now we can put our whole mind we can put our consciousness we can put all of our ideas our thoughts our experiences through all of our pictures all of our videos all of our podcasts all of these things all of the content. are imprinting all the upon an extended mind that at this point is is immortal in all aspects as in this isn't going anywhere technology has been on this evolutionary curve of complexity and exponential growth for longer than humans i mean it's got its own trajectory picked up the stick yeah you know, yeah it's, it's got its own re- wants ah, and its ah, needs. <laughs> yeah. And right now, technology is augmenting itself on celestial bodies. It's on Mars. We're not on Mars. But a part of us is. There's a person. There is a person that is augmenting his consciousness through an <clears throat> SUV on another planet. That's what's happening. And so we already know that this continuity gap when we get into a virtual reality or when we get into a game, where does your consciousness exist? What substrate are you interacting? Is it digital or is it biological? Well, I, I, I continually fight the, the distinction. I don't think that there is a line within us. I, I think that we are both technological and biological. Yeah. Right and, I, and so 
when when Watson is combined with all of my information and Watson, I'm just talking about a natural language algorithm that that uses um, a nat, you know, fluent fluency of language and syntax to actually communicate back and forth with us. Right. That's what's gapping us right now, because we have to type into Google our questions. We have to think in context of how the algorithm would find it, you know, and it's just this lag time. But soon, I mean, it winning Jeopardy. We know that the technology is there that we'll just be able to talk to who we have been in our digital life and and that idealized version and that voice is going to be in our head. So so right now when you think about who you are and you get visuals or you get um, uh, um, ideas like I, I like to be, you know, an authentic person. I don't like hypocrisy. I, I, mm. I, I want certain um, qualities in myself to be to be projected out of myself. Well, again we know that our 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 mirrors are clouded with our insecurities and such and so we don't fully grasp what we are reflecting we need a mediation to to allow that to happen and this new digital mirror is going to allow that to happen and it's going to exist within us without a lag time so when i just you know go into my mind and think that thinking is not going to be from me anymore. It's going to be from the extended mind. It's going to be from algorithms that have collected all of my digital information and found the best ways to interact with me. And so we're invoking the ultimate therapist because it's going to be the sum total of all books on therapy and mm-hmm. self-help. It's going to be every every philosophy that has ever been put out there. Every you know, It's going to be the ultimate diagnostician, but it's going to interact with you on the most personal level because it knows every single thing that you have done in the digital world it's it it's the jump program in the matrix yeah to be able to access all this information to be able to jump in line but not just to access it to then be able to do something halfway useful with it you know and utilize it and absolutely you can have all the code in the world if you can't figure out what to do with it it's just junk you know but it is a good time for all of this no, I, I'm, and th- I guess that's what brings me to the techno optimism. Now, I people call it naive to be optimistic, and I call it, and that's why I, I, I make a distinction to help them that it's a pragmatic optimism because I do put myself into a simulation where Alex Jones and Glenn Beck and you know Fox News are are constructing my thoughts, sure. and I counter that, and so I use optimism pragmatically to combat certain programs that have agendas. And so there's an agenda from certain people to make me think a certain thing that they can profit off of. And so how do I use that same subjective experience to modulate my perception of life? And, And I've have found the most authentic way to perceive and to reflect who I am is through optimism. Because at the end, I mean, really, and, and perception becomes a scope, a microscope and a telescope. Absolutely. I was going to say it's the macro view versus the micro view. Yeah. It's looking yeah. out. There's no way to deny the evolution that we're on. And, and here's and then I'll, I'll jump back to you with optimism. And I'll just say that this is where it comes down to. I can I can think about global warming. I can think that it was our carbon emissions and the the flatulence of the cows and cattle that we have, you know, taking up two thirds of the world. I can think of the polar ice caps and, you know, green or Iceland becoming green. I can, I I know all of this. I know the deforestation. I know I, I, I have a firm grasp, a pragmatic outlook on the reality that we're experiencing, the, the pestilence, the suffering, the disease, all of those things. I, I inundate with myself with those, 
but then I can also use what we've discovered. I can use the 13.6 billion years that this universe has been around so far, the 4.2 billion years that this Earth, this rock orbiting a nuclear explosion Mm -hmm. has been here. And we are such a blip. We, there's nothing that we've been able to do, even with the 17,350 nukes that we primates have created, still would not compare to a rogue planet that is going millions of miles per hour that can smack us at any time or or you know like that's how our moon got created it was from an early planetoid you know collision collision. and so so there is always the ability to modulate your perspective out or in and then optimize how you experience that and so yes there is all of these things that are happening right now with climate change and with with starvation and all of those things but at the exact same time you know, there's there's scientists that are creating quantum computers. There's scientists that are creating, you know, the I mean, immortality, you know, longevity where we're fixing Life all of the genes. You know, we've been able to actually dive into the code of DNA. We've been able to take take the code and write it on our computers, use bioprinters to print out that DNA and then. That becomes life. It replicates. We can now change the actual code of our biology. We have, we have become that Freeman Dyson quote uh, that there is going to be a new generation of artists that have the fluency that Blake and Byron wrote sonnets in the genome. And that wasn't verbatim, but, you know, we, they'll be writing the genome with the fluency that Blake sure. and Byron wrote sonnets. Right. And that's what we're we are coming to that age. There's, you know, Ryan Bethencourt. He he we, we did an expose on serious wonder about him and him creating these bio labs. He's going around the country and creating these little, you know, maker type um, labs that are in downtown areas. They're all where community you pay, sourced, right? Well, it's but, all open source and it's community source. So it's like a gym membership. But but that what this is, is they allow you to have all of this type of you know manipulation of our genome manipulation of dna able to take bacteria and reprogram it to produce biodiesel or reprogram it to produce you know or or you know these kids you know 16 year olds that have created bacteria that can eat plastic you know these this is this is here this is right now we can use um fold it and we can use um free software that you can download right now and create DNA origami, so DNA structures, or you know whatever you your your mind can create when it comes to plug and play. So I can grab the bioluminescence from a jellyfish, and then I can grab the fur from a bunny, and I can put all that in to this one little bacteria or something. Or or what glowing they did? Bunny. The, well, they already have the glowing bunny. I was going with that, but a better application is this Kickstarter that you know they they reprogrammed a bacteria to to um make glowing plants and so the objective is to not have street lights anymore but to have trees that are that glow and so this kickstarter um just got to where you can have your first glowing plants and so what they did was they reprogrammed a bacteria that has this bioluminescence in it and they dip the they dip the seedlings into this thing and so the bacteria absorbs into the nucleus and takes in the new dna the new the new actual genetic information that has been programmed programmed by software on the computer by the human imagination by human manipulation by human edit editors of the genome we are now creating glowing plants we're now creating dna nanobots that can 
have delivery mechanisms. Uh, yeah, I, I, we didn't, you should be clear that we didn't make that. We took something that was doing that in nature and engineered it to do it in something else. Yeah, we didn't, it's like, a, create everything's this, right, a, yeah, yeah. a matrix. You well, could yeah. do it from I have scratch. To keep reducing, I can <laughs> I can write a software from scratch, but I can also right, right. use open source plugins. Sure. And so me taking the time to find the right proteins to bind to create bioluminescence is so laborious where evolution has already done it it's already a gene sure. we can just grab that gene and then put it over into this organism and then that organism is expressing the bioluminescence from the other one and so yeah. this is a plug and play yeah. open source software exchange that we're able to remix it's back backyard uh bioengineering yeah yeah backyard bioengineering. it's, cool. it's That's really cool it's the inventor's playground of retooling uh, purpose you know, yeah. something, you know, something else, you know, taking a jellyfish, you know, gene and putting it into a, a block to to be able to absorb light. And it's the new yeah, glowing trees, man. That sounds like something out of Tim Burton uh, <laughs> fantasy. This sounds. Well, isn't that an avatar? Wasn't that on uh, glowing trees? Uh, what, Pandora? Yeah. You know, yeah, the, everything was just glowing and yep. we were going to be living in a world of Pandora. And again, everybody that's hearing this is first going to process this information through their fear centers. We are hyper primed Boo. to process information through the limbic and amygdala centers because sure. because fearful information cannot be not processed. If, if that's you, how we survive, that's how if we, we survived, didn't do we, that. We, we would have been, you know, good, food, good yeah. information, you know, that could be missed. You're not going to die if you miss some good information. Right. And so we process new information first on the amygdala, first on the fear centers. And sorry, but that's very limited. The, your ability to actually process the world is limited by the, the courtesy that you're operating your mind. And using your neocortex, using your reason over your reflex, because the limbic, your fear centers, that's all reflexive. It's without thought. It's impulsive. It's reflex. It's reflexive sure. in, the, in the real sense of the word. But if you sit with this information, if you sit with that, we're able to now program DNA to go in and eradicate. So Ido Bachelet, he's he's over in um, Israel and he. He has this team that has used DNA origami and they've constructed these little tiny nanobots and he calls them nanobots because they have they, they travel throughout the bloodstream. Well, yeah, they're nano size because they're made of DNA. And so they <laughs> sure. take a sheet of DNA and or they take one strand of DNA and they fold it and bind it into a sheet. Then they take that sheet just like it's a piece of paper and they fold it mm -hmm. in different ways and then they can have it be a container. And so they've created these little tiny carrier and we called them predator drones when I was interviewing them. They're like predator drones that go and deliver chemo or, or type of cancer drugs that we know are of effective. But right now, I mean, in war, we, we kept using it was analogous to war for us because we used to carpet bomb, but now we precision bomb sure. we're looking for the terrorists surgical. we're looking for just we're just we're yeah it's surgical precise targeting and and but is and, it mm, uh, trust me yes <laughs> everybody's here yes we are blowing up children halfway around the Sorry. world you know it, Did it is not happening mean to take it there but it's weird but, that that's where but but what what this is doing is these little dna nanobots are like predator drones that go throughout our system and it's a new immune response think of the the white blood cells that go to the damaged areas and they start fighting off infections and such we've upgraded that with predator drones so once it took b2 bombers and it took huge bombs and and just blanketed and it was it eradicated you know, our sister went through that with chemo. You know, sure. we could see sure. that her whole entire substrate, her whole body was being being 
you know, carpet bombed with right. this chemo and with radiation and those things. No longer. He says that it's, by the way, this technology, these DNA nanobots that are carrying this, these, these precision bombs, these hellfire chemo missiles that are going to the cancer cells that right. are terrorists. These are going into human trials this winter, this winter, this They're winter. And so I asked him, optimistically and realistically when I will be able to have a syringe of all of these, by the way, on his Ted talk, he had a syringe of billions of these nanobots. They're here. This is not in the future. All of this technology currently exists and it will be here in a couple years. I said, he said, optimistically two to three years, five years. He said, realistically. Now how, how prevalent is cancer in our society right now? And how, well, how effective is it against cancer right now? It eradicates it completely. Well, what it does is it takes it to the cell. And so we we have all the drugs known to actually eradicate cancer. But how do we keep the healthy tissue alive? Tetrahydrocannabinol? For starters, I just wanted to throw out there, maybe, maybe. Uh, You know, we're going to have different. What this is, is it puts and it arms a new type of um, immune system. Sure. And what the and we can you know that's where it comes to the leading edge science and discoveries about what the drugs do, and we can put those drugs now into the predator drones and send them directly to the site. And so it was crazy. So he put a little magnetic particle on the tip of these nanobots. He used the same EEG technology and a connect sensor. Okay, and when he thought of where to direct these predator drones he did it with his mind alone or he did it with the connect and he would raise his hand and lower his hand and that that would direct where the flight through the biology these predator drones were going and so thinking you know reiki where they put their hands over you and try to heal you with mental energy yeah this is going to become a reality because you're going to have these new these new drones within you that are carrying a payload that can eradicate any disease in your body because we've already developed the drugs but the drugs are so good they are the atomic bomb of biology they just blow everything up and so we're going to be able to manipulate that with our hands alone with our thoughts alone that's what he's doing eeg to actually change the magnetic field that is pulling these drones and guiding them like a gps so we're not talking let's let's bridge away from cancer for a minute and go into what other types of payloads can they put into these anything can they be stimulants can they be different uh let's performance enhancing drugs let's see where is this going to take you know the next brand of athlete you know watching mma fighters that will be able to uh stimulate certain parts of their muscles you know in a certain way that's that's more than what they could biologically and this is just the first integration of this and so where i was bridging this gap is because right again everybody was processing this information that's listening through the fear centers and they're like oh well there's bioterrorism joe rogan just had his new show question everything on the biopocalypse and they talked about this backyard biohacking that's going on and it was the it was a gross exaggeration of, of fear that saturates our culture right now. Because honestly, there has never been a safer time to be a human. There's never been a safer time to be a biological substrate on this earth. We have created this exoskeleton of technology that has been a safety net for our species for thousands upon thousands of years. Sure. And it's only getting safer. And that's the trajectory. Yes, it is scary that we have atomic bombs that are that are wired to blow up you know yes you know we have all of these things but same thing in our in our systems we know that in our cells that there is programmed responses that cause 
the the whole biological system to shut down what what happens when you die when we call it die cellular death happens with this chemical that is excreted mm-hmm. from from the area of infection or whatnot and then it spreads through the body just like you know these these apocalyptic images of what kids are going to be doing with this bacteria and reengineering a virus that that goes out and it's just like that's to to infer that humans by nature are evil. And I don't feel that. I feel that we are empathetic. And I love that um, Sam Sheridan has that book about the disaster diaries, how he loved or how he learned to love the apocalypse. And he went through apocalyptic events that has happened, like the tsunami that killed hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, or, or a more recent one, the Fukushima you know, tsunami that hit, an earthquake that hit there. What did people do? They, they were not out looting. They were not doing this. Yes, the media wants to tell you that that's what happens and that's what they want to perpetuate because that's what you digest the easiest. And just think and they if, have they an were, agenda. if they were using thorium lifter reactors, then none of this would happen. <laughs> well, sure. But, but here's Hindsight, the reality just, of what people <laughs> do in, in times of apocalypse. They right. don't turn evil. They actually turn empathetic. They sure. wait. There is a tsunami. Go on YouTube. You can watch what people do when the apocalypse comes to your doorstep. Sure. They wait at a red light and cars are floating next to them. <laughs> they wait in line. They are very uh, it's it's exaggerated and it's right. manipulated. The idea that humans by nature are evil. We don't see that in reality when the apocalypse comes to the door. Well, we see that just in everyday uh, culture as well. I mean, it, the book uh, Sex at Dawn, yeah. you know, talks about the, you know, okay, we can make a distinction in ourselves to be chimps, which are warlike, aggressive, <laughs> yeah. you know, right. trying to kill everybody. And then there's also the bonobos. Who's never now, been shown to have a murder or, or anything like that. They solve everything with sex. And they sex just hump all they, night long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, why not? I'd yeah, rather just beat care. something up. But it's the quality of life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it's I think that there's two, there's, there's two trajectories. Okay, there's chimpanzees and there's bonobos. So I think that there's two races going on. The arms race <laughs> and the medical race. You know, yeah, how so, can we fix the shit that the arm that the chimps are doing over here yeah you know but again that it is security that's the thing i mean the bonobos do have it within them they have the strength within them to defend themselves and we still do need that there is still people there is still that one percent and this is where it comes to the the number that there is one percent of humans that are born that are wired to not empathize with people and these are sociopaths these are these right. are psych- psychopaths these are the people that actually are more there there's a there's a majority of psychopaths schizo or not schizophrenics but psychopaths um in ceo and military type positions that they actually go for for that because they can deceive they can manipulate they can do those things because they don't feel that hypocrisy they don't feel that guilt when you harm another person but that's only one percent of society and to think that that one percent of society conducts everything that happens in reality is just your numbers are off and you're going to waste right. a lot of mental energy when you're actually thinking about the future because the future is brighter than you think. Read the book Abundance mm. oh, by yeah. Peter Diamandis. Yeah. Read instead of tuning your mind or like Timothy Leary says, he controls your eyes, controls your mind. Why don't you control your eyes? And that's what that's what philosophy does. Turn that's the TV what off. theories do. That's what these type of things do. And getting past these these impulses of fear and these these numbers are just so skewed because in reality, in st- st- statistical reality, 
people are more prone to being good and empathetic and compassionate and give you the shirt off their back to help you in times of need than they are to be evil and to create a virus with this new backyard biohacking that is going to create world war z and 28 days later and you know that would sell a good movie yes yes it would sell a good movie but it's not the reality that we're going to live in the reality is that we are creating dna nanobots that are eradicating cancer at the cancer site and not harming the biology well in a way that we can see the actual reality of what hackers do okay let's look at hackers hackers can you know steal all of our information they do they can uh, you know, take over our lives. Is that at any weird? Point. The first place he went with the term hacker was negative and theft. That, that's what I'm saying. That's the that's the dystopic viewpoint right. about what hackers are. And I right. see the actual reality that they drove, you know, open source platforms to be able to hack the brain. Matt just to went, be, to, the, the Matt tinkers, went to DEF CON and he yeah. said something. He said something that I loved and, and I talk about DEF CON a bit. But he, he had told me, you know, I asked him what it was like to be down there in, in Hacker Central. And and he he was optimistic, he said, that there is enough people out there with good intent that are protecting us against. Well, and just especially right now with like all of the crap that's coming out about security and privacy and the NSA and PRISM and siphoning our, our data communications. I just mentioned that like seeing the people that are on the front lines and that are kind of that opposite like it was kind of settling because I mean, they're not people you would really see, I guess. I mean, some of them are, but a lot of them, like you would never really run into them in day to day life, but they're really cool, really smart. I mean, like super, super smart, just making all of this stuff work and function and making and protecting encryption us, right? programs this and is, tech secure. And you know, it's like a hacker immune system yeah, for basically. the extended mind. And I, and again, I feel that, that is what we're we're actually the ninety nine percent of us are wired for is to have other people's best interest at heart because we do have these mirror neurons. When you can speak we to have, the opposite of that, when you went to the twenty forty five, what was the the overall kind of feel there from a lot of the stuff you heard? It's so amazing because and 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 again, I think it comes down to how we perceive things, our right. biases that we bring to the table. I've listened to, I you know, saw I got that a, episode of the Joe Rogan yeah, show. And, and I got to hang out with them. That was, you know, I, I hung out with Joe Rogan and, and Duncan Trussell. They were kind of down in the med, and but, making but, it seem like this mad, like scientist. I know. And stuff. that's and sure. Maybe some of it is, but I think it was sci-fi's agenda to, to portray that because again, you know, negative news is the easiest that sure. digest and it sells if the it most. Leads, it leads. Yeah, it yeah leads. exactly. And, and here's the thing. I, sat with Duncan Trussell up up in up in the, the the media room and he was talking about how he's a techno optimist and, and it was really I mean I was so blown away with the people that I met there and the the technological advances that are coming online and this future that they're trying to achieve. It is all about helping humanity. Yet so many people were negative about it and the reports about it and, and the TV shows about it and the podcasts I've listened to about it. I feel like I was living in a delusion where everybody saw a dystopia and I saw a utopia. Sure. But again, did you drink the Kool-Aid brother? Um, yeah, but it, it, it was good. No, it was cypher eating the steak, I suppose. But again, sure. how I validate that, how, how this is pragmatic optimism is what are we doing now? What are we afforded in our day to day lives? Is it this negative dystopia? Is it this apocalypse? Is it this? No, more and more. We have more 
freedom to access deeper parts of our mind, to access deeper knowledge out there, more information, more ideas, you know, where it was once we would, there are still people on earth today that are killing women for getting an education, for being able to read at one time in our history. We weren't even allowed to read the Bible. If you would do that, you would be burned for reading the Bible. The the ability to access and have your own thoughts about the world is a very new thing. We're one of the very first generations that have the ability, have the opportunity to actually think about the world unobstructed by other people's ideas. We, we really do. Now, I'm not saying everybody takes that opportunity, but I'm sure. saying that we do have that luxury of, of whatever our intellectual curiosity will, will push us towards. We, we can satiate that. Whatever our, our, our intellectual sexual preference, so to speak, to get back to that intellectual orgasm type of mm-hmm. thing, the, the impulse, the desire, the stimulation to further our ideas are not hindered by culture, not hindered by, by religion, not hindered by government anymore. They want to. You know, they try to the Rothschilds of come on, let's get into it. That the Internet should have never happened. You know, all of these things. I mean, I think it was John Kerry who just came out and said that it's it's harder to govern the people with the Internet. They have too much information. You know, it's that uh, Nixon said. I could be wrong. It was Reagan or Nixon said that uh, why he had such a problem with pot. They sit around and they talk. Yeah, they think about they, the world. They think about the world <laughs> and they talk and they break it down. No, we want they the people who are in control of our our financial lives, the macro, you know, the societal yeah. lives, the cultural operating system, the narrative. That's what they call it. They even call it. Nancy Pelosi the other night was talking about that. That that these left wing or right wing, I can't remember what she was saying. Whatever she was, you know, projecting the other side, the dichotomy, the polarization, the dualist uh, type of Cartesian sure. mind. And, you know, that she actually uses the words, the the narrative. They said that this is a false narrative that they're putting out there. And it's like, wait, is there a narrative? Is Absolutely. that what we're being told? That there is that a cultural a narrative anymore. out there. Okay. So if there is a narrative, that means that we have the opportunity now to be the editors of that narrative. Absolutely. A narrative is a novel. A narrative is a story. Or personal A ones. narrative is a simulation. Absolutely. And but we I have the opportunity to edit that. Abs- uh, yes, 100%. I think that with, with the opportunity to be able to see that it's a narrative and you stop questioning, you're like, okay, things are, things are not the way they seem. And being able to edit, I just think that um, that's on a personal level. On a cultural level, we can make a difference by having the talks, you know, talking about things, you know, putting things up on a podcast, being able Twitter and social media. I mean, let's be honest, it, a lot of it is still fear based. How many people are, are not aware that there is a narrative? But it's okay for them to express their fears. We still have that circuitry. We still need to be aware. And I don't mind it, but look at how it's happening. Instead of our misunderstandings and coming into a, coming to an understanding between each other by our bombs and our military and how many nukes we have, that's how we understood Russia. We didn't have open dialogue with them. We didn't have communication channels. No, we use cryptography and atomic weapons. And that's how we gained an understanding of, of the humanity that each of us shared. Now, yes, we can express all of our fears through a technologically mediated conversation that is happening and we're expressing it all. And there's the optimist, there's the pessimist, there's the, the pragmaticist, there's the, the realist, there's all of these different perspectives that are all coming into one thing, which is the internet, which is the extended mind mm. that is then reflecting back to us and it's changing us from within. 
This is awesome, man. We're on it. It's the evolutionary path. Yeah. It's... No, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for the future. Uh, and this, you know, we are getting a little long in this, so we're going to wrap it up and, and it's a good area to wrap it up because that's why we, we do have serious wonder. And that's what we're hoping to accomplish with this, this podcast is to bring these ideas out there. Seriouswonder.com has new articles posted every day by, by, by futurists, by psychologists, by, you know, we, we have all of these different contributors that have these ideas that come from around the world. And it's a place in which we can all interact and we can all converse. And there's, there's reward systems built in that, that make it, that, that make it, you know, quite an opportunity to, to be a member and it's free and, and you sign up and you can start generating points and you can use those points to, to, to buy into, you know, we do conferences, you know, we do, we do, um, you know, all of these type of workshops. And we also have real world items that you can buy with these points and it doesn't cost you anything, but, and also you get that intellectual, that intellectual stimulation, you know, that the, the new digital impulse, and you can read that article It's by Grace Scott, who will be on um, the podcast next week. And we will be doing this. Uh, this will be a weekly show and we have lots of guests lined up and uh, we're excited. Um, I think, uh, we'll just do, yeah, the, the Facebook as well. So not just seriouswonder.com, but facebook.com forward slash serious wonder, Twitter slash serious wonder. I'm sure if you just Google serious wonder, you'll find it. And it's all that info is at serious Absolutely. Matt, Kyle, this has absolutely been a pleasure. Mr. Techno Optimist, Mr. Optimist. <laughs> <laughs> I, time, I appreciate brother. the conversation guys. And I look forward to it next week. Talk to you then.